When you get into God's Word, that's great. But when God's Word gets into you, that's even better. Which one is happening in your life? Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah continues his look at what it means to be clothed in Christ. Learn why worship flows out of you when God's Word is inside of you. As David introduces the conclusion of his message, The Christian's Dress Code. You know, there's an old adage that's in the world that says, clothes make the man. And uh, I'm not sure if that's true or not. You always are quite impressed with somebody who's dressed well. But in a Christian life, that's true. If you follow the outline of Colossians, clothes make the man and make the woman. The Christian's dress code is, well, it's inviolable. You, you, you're, you're promised that if you put on patience, if you put on humility, if you put on love, if you put on forgiveness, you will be the person God created you to be. We have more of that today as we open our Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. I hope you'll join us by opening your Bible to Colossians chapter 3. And if you're one of the few who've already gotten the book, if you're partners with Turning Points, you may have this book already. Uh, Turn to chapter 7. This is the last part of the chapter as we talk about the Christian's dress code. We'll get there in just a moment. I have to keep telling you this because if I don't, uh, you'll forget it or you'll let it get caught up in a lot of other details. So let me do this rundown for you. Uh, October the 6th, we're going to be in Raleigh, North Carolina at the PNC Arena. October the 13th in Orlando, Florida at the Amway Center. October the 20th in Greenville, South Carolina at the Bon Secours Wellness Arena. And November the 11th in Buffalo, New York at the Key Bank Center. Then uh, in December, on the 28th of December, we take our annual conference cruise to the Caribbean, which uh, takes us out over the New Year holiday, and we come back on the 4th of January. Information about that cruise is available from Turning Point at davidjeremiah.org. Well, let's get started with this lesson that we have in front of us, part two of the Christian's Dress Code. Put on tender mercies, put on kindness, put on humility, put on his meekness. Here's the one that gets us all. This is where the rubber meets the road. Put on his patience. Put on long-suffering, bearing with one another. Do you know what the meaning of long-suffering is? It's the opposite of (laughs) short-suffering. The short-tempered person speaks and acts impulsively. He lacks self-control. When a person is long-suffering, he can put up with provoking people. It's all right to get angry if you get angry for the right reasons, but it's wrong to get angry quickly at the wrong thing and for the wrong concern. Notice the phrase that follows it is, we're to be bearing with one another. Oh, my goodness, what this phrase means. Here is Paul admitting that it can be hard to get along with some people in the church. I'm not going to ask for a witness. I already know that you know that. (laughs) Sometimes we have to put up with difficult people. You know the difference is, here's what happens. We usually try to change them, don't we? Those people are hard to get along with. You can't fix some people. Did you know that? Some people are just hard to get along with. And Paul says, put on long-suffering and learn how to get along with people who were hard to get along with and to love them in Christ people we would normally not choose to associate with come to church and sit next to us. They may sing loud, and they may sing off-key. Get over it. Just handle it. Just let it happen. 
In the days before smoking was banned from airplanes, and there was smoking and non-smoking sections on those planes, a man started to light a cigar. And the flight attendant told him that he was not allowed to smoke a cigar unless it was all right with the other person in the immediate area. So she asked the lady sitting next to him, do you object to his smoking? I absolutely object. I detest cigars, was the reply. So the flight attendant spoke to a young man who was seated near the front of the cabin and came back to report that he would not mind sitting next to a cigar smoker. As the cigar smoking man walked forward to his new seat, his former seatmate, the boisterous woman, turned to the flight attendant and said, I've been married to that man for 30 years and I can't stand his awful cigars. <laughs> I like that story because nobody sees what's coming. <laughs> but she'd been married to the guy 30 years and she still couldn't get along with him. I mean, what are you going to do? You, mar- you got the message. And then, not only put on patience, put on forgiveness. Verse 13, forgiving one another, if anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. Now, I want you to listen carefully to what I'm going to say, because I've never preached this message when I have not been aware of the fact that there are people in the auditorium who are dealing with forgiveness issues. Paul moves beyond just enduring and putting up with one another, and he says that we're to forgive each other. Instead of complaining against someone, forgive them. In the New Testament, Christ provides the possibility and the pattern for forgiveness for believers. Ephesians 4.32 puts it this way, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. When you become a Christian, God gives you a reservoir of forgiveness. And out of that reservoir of forgiveness, he intends for you to forgive others. Just as you have been forgiven, he wants you to forgive others. How did he forgive us? The Bible says he did it for Christ's sake. He forgave us unconditionally. He forgave us freely. He didn't say, I'll forgive you, but I will never forget. No, no. In fact, the Bible says when he forgave, he threw our sins into the deepest part of the sea. He put our sins behind his back as far as the east is from the west. That is how we are to forgive. Don't give me any of this nonsense about, oh, I'll forgive you, but I'm never going to forget what you did. That isn't forgiveness. You can say, well, I can't forget what they did. No, but you can refuse to remember (laughs) I'm just not going to remember it against you anymore. In one of his sermons, D.L. Moody used to picture the Lord saying to Peter, Hey, Peter, go hunt up the man who put the crown of thorns on my head and tell him that I love him. Tell him he can have a crown in my kingdom and it doesn't have any thorns. Find the man who spat in my face and preached the gospel to him. Tell him that I forgive him and that I died to save him. And find the man who thrust the spear into my side and tell him there's a quicker way to my heart. That is how the Lord Jesus has forgiven us. Now it's our turn. Let me ask you something. Have you been forgiven by God through Jesus Christ? 
all your sins nailed to his cross, all your sins of omission, commission, and disposition, all of them erased by the power of his blood? How can it be, if that is true, that you are now harboring a resentful attitude toward your wife or your husband or your cousin or your sibling, why have you carried around that grudge? You have been forgiven. The next time you say, I can't forgive a person, just stop and remember who you are. You know all of your sins and how God has forgiven you. If God can forgive you knowing who you are and all you've done to offend him, then surely you can forgive that person who's waiting to be forgiven. There's a whole message there that needs to be preached more often than it is because my observation is a lot of families are broken because of the lack of forgiveness. I preached a message like this one time at Hume Lake when I used to go up there and preach to the adults. And a man jumped up in the middle of the message and he ran out and I didn't know what that was all about. He came and told me later that he hadn't spoken to his son in nine years and that when he heard the message on forgiveness, he realized it was his fault. And he went to the payphone. That was back in the payphone days. And he called his son on the payphone, talked to him for 20 minutes, asked for his forgiveness, and he said, thank you, I'm a new man. Forgiveness doesn't just relieve the person you forgive. Mostly it relieves you of the burden of unforgiveness. And I recommend that you put on forgiveness. And then Paul wrote at the end of his list, and put on love, which is the bond of perfection. Above all, he says, put on love. That's very interesting because here's the idea that love is the thread that runs through all the implements of clothing that you put on. Love is so important that it's a part of every garment. All of the things we've mentioned are connected to love. Tender mercies are love. Humility is love. Meekness, Paul says, when you get all done getting dressed, just put on love. Because love is the first of all the commandments. And love is pretty important. Love is the center of it all. Tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering only get their power when they are motivated by love. Put on love. Okay, now that we're all dressed... We're all ready to go out and meet the world that's looking for those people who are called of God, elected by God, before the foundation of the world, chosen by God. Now they're all dressed up and they're looking like they belong. We're children of Christ. We have dressed up in the wardrobe of Christ. We're now going to live that way. Now Paul's got three things he wants to tell us before we go out into the world. First of all, he said... And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which you also were called in one body, and be thankful. Submit to the peace of Christ. Following the command for the Colossians to put on the character of Christ, here's this reference to the peace of Christ. Now, a lot of translations translate this, the peace of God, but the real translation, the literal one, is the peace of Christ. This is the peace that comes from Christ. Remember, before Jesus went to the cross, he said, I'm going to give you my peace, not as the world gives you, but the kind of peace that comes just from me. And he says in this passage of Scripture, listen carefully, this 
peace that I give you is supposed to rule your heart. And the word that is used here, let the peace of God rule in your heart. You know, the word rule is the word for umpire. Let the peace of God be the umpire in your heart. The umpire is the final word. And in the Christian terminology, the umpire gets every call right. Let the peace of God umpire in your heart. This is a really important principle that I want to share with you today. More and more as we walk with the Lord, we find ourselves confronted with decisions we have to make. They're not easy decisions. They're not decisions between what the Bible says is wrong and what the Bible says is right. But sometimes we're confronted with two things. Both of them seem equally good, and we don't know which one to do. And Paul says, let the peace of God umpire in your heart. So that if you do that, you will have moments when you say, you know, I was going to do that, but I just didn't have any peace. Or I know this is right because God has given me real peace about this. Here's something that I can use to help you understand it. When I came here 40-some years ago to be the pastor of this church, I was already a pastor. I'd been a pastor for 12 years. Started a church in Fort Wayne, Indiana, and watched that church grow to about 1,500. I loved that church. I loved the people there. And then out of nowhere, this call came to come to San Diego. First, I kind of smiled at it, and it took me two years to process it. But two years later, it was still there. And I remember one day telling my wife, I don't know what to do. I mean, I love this church. And that church has incredible potential. What am I supposed to do? So I came up with this idea. Next week, I'm going to get up every day, and I'm going to do the very best I can to think and act like I'm staying in Fort Wayne. So I did. And the next week, I'm going to get up every day and think and act like I'm going to San Diego. And you know what? I didn't get any peace at all the first week. The second week, God gave me peace, and I came here to be your pastor because the peace of God umpired in my heart. You see what I'm saying? You say, well, that's you, pastor. That works for... No, it works for everybody. If you think you're supposed to do something and you have no peace in your heart, it may not be the red light, but it sure is the yellow light. (laughs) You better stop and ask yourself, why can I get any peace in my heart over this? Why do I not have a sense of the peace of God reigning over this decision? It might just mean you need more time to process it, but it also might mean that God is protecting you by his Holy Spirit and the peace umpire to keep you from making a mistake. Let the peace of God umpire in your heart. And then Paul says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your heart to the Lord. Paul said, now here's what you need to do. Let the peace of God umpire your heart. Now, let the word of God motivate your worship. Make sure that the word of God is dwelling in you. You know, it's one thing to get in the word. It's quite another thing for the word to get in you. You haven't really accomplished it if you're just in the Word. A lot of people I know that are in the Word, but by evidence of their life, the Word hadn't gotten in them yet. (laughs) Let the Word of God dwell in you. Let it be at home in you. That's a permanent, seated, settling down of the Word of God in your life. And then it says, when you have the Word of God in you, then you need to worship. 
And I love the description of the worship here. Teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. The Bible says that when the Word of God is in us, that is the motivation for us to worship. That's one of the reasons why many of our choruses and songs and hymns are simply the Word of God set to music. One pastor calls church singing take-home theology because the best songs we sing together give us an easily memorizable, deeply biblical summary of important biblical truths. Do you know, men and women, I remember choruses that I learned in junior high and in the junior department of our Sunday school that were based on the Word of God. There was a course somebody wrote on Galatians 2.20. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. How did you memorize that verse? Because it's a song and it sings in my head. You know, if you study communism, for instance, if you study all the troops that are organized under Stalin, for instance, under Hitler, they taught the ideology of their doctrine musically. And the Bible says that we who are Christians, we let the Word of God dwell in us richly, and then we sing psalms, which are usually Old Testament psalms, Those are the hymns, the old hymns that we sing. We sing songs and hymns and spiritual songs. That would describe our worship songs that we sing. But listen to me. The Bible says we not only sing them to God, but I never noticed this before. Did you notice it says admonishing one another while we're praising God? Listen to me, men and women. I'm not the only one preaching the Word of God on Saturday night and Sunday morning. So are you. When you sing, you're teaching and admonishing those around you. You're learning the Word of God through the hymnody of the church, and everyone gets to be a teacher. You sing, and you sing, and you sing together, and you walk out, and I know this is true. You may have forgotten what the pastor said. The choir sang a song, or we sang a song together, and it rings in your spirit all week long, and that's how it's supposed to work. Let the peace of God umpire in your heart. Let the Word of God motivate your worship. And finally, let the name of Christ be the motivation of your life. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. You know, I discovered this week that there's a lot of places in the Bible where it says, whatever you do, this is kind of like a global thing. This is not pick out what you want to do. No, it's whatever you do. Proverbs 16.3, commit to the Lord whatever you do, and your plans will succeed. Proverbs 4.26, plan carefully what you do, and whatever you do will turn out right. Ecclesiastes 9.10, work hard at whatever you do. 3 John 5, do faithfully whatever you do. Colossians 3.23, and whatever you do, do it heartily to the Lord. Ecclesiastes 11.9, remember that God is going to judge you for whatever you do. 1 Corinthians 10.31, therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything for God's glory. In word or in deed, whatever you do, do it in the name of Christ. We pray in the name of Christ. We need to live in the name of Christ. 
There's a story about a little girl named Amy. The story is told by Laura Duvall. She said when my daughter Amy was in nursery school, she'd come home every day with drawings and collages and other projects. And next to her own name, she'd scrawl the name of someone she loved. Usually mommy or daddy, sometimes baby brother Ben. I did this for you, she'd probably write. If Amy could do every school project for me and for her dad, surely I can do my projects for my Heavenly Father. Now I often ask myself, have I written my Lord's name on all that I have done today? Whatever you do, in word or in deed, do it all to the glory of the Lord. So here's Paul's final instructions to us in this powerful section of this book we call Colossians. Three things he says to us. Let the peace of Christ arbitrate your life. Let the word of Christ permeate your life. Let the name of Christ motivate your life. Get dressed. Remember who you are. Get dressed in the clothing of Christ. And then go live your life arbitrated by the peace of God, permeated by the word of God, and motivated by the name of God. In the fable, the emperor's new clothes... An unscrupulous con artist seeking royal favor promises to provide the emperor with an outfit of clothing that would be very special. In fact, so delicate and rare would the fabric be that the clothes would be undetectable to the touch. And more importantly, these new clothes would be invisible to anyone of poor character or inferior ability. When the emperor received the empty hanger on which his new outfit was supposedly displayed, he could hardly admit to not seeing the clothes without impugning his own suitability for the royal office. So he admired the clothes, as did his advisors. They put them on and strutted proudly around the kingdom, stark naked. And you remember the story. The little boy says, Mommy, they have no clothes. If we're not careful... We Christians can fall into the same trap. We can obediently take off the clothes of the old life, like lying and greed and sexual impurity. But if we fail to replace those old garments with the new robes of righteousness that are presented in this chapter we have just studied, we parade around acting as if we have put them on when in reality we are spiritually naked. And just as in the case of the emperor... The world is snickering behind our backs because they see us as we really are, not as we're pretending to be. So what Paul would say to us, put reality in your life. Put on these clothes. Don't just act like you're holy or act like you're humble. Be humble. Be filled with kindness. Be the people God has called you to be and live according to the blessing that you already have. You are children of the king. Now dress up like a child of the king and live like a child of the king and don't walk around in imaginary clothing. Be the real you all the way to the core of your heart. Amen. You know what this means is we need to appropriate the things that God tells us are available to us. The Bible tells us we're to be humble. You say, well, I'm not a humble person. That doesn't matter. Be humble because God has told you to be and allow him to work out that truth in your life. Uh, Begin to do the humble things and God will help you to understand how to continue them. 
appropriate them. Begin to walk in humility. Begin to walk in patience. And as you do, those things will become a part of who you are. Paul says it's like putting on your clothing every day. And I hope you will take advantage of this application. Here tomorrow we begin uh, a really interesting section of Colossians. Uh, It matches a similar section in the book of Ephesians, and it's all about the Christian family, Christian marriage, fathers and mothers and children, and actually even servants. Colossians chapter 3, 18 through chapter 4, verse 1. We begin that section tomorrow here on Turning Point on the Friday edition. In the meantime, you have this opportunity to get all of this information in a brand new book. The book is called Christ Above All, 288 pages, beautifully designed, hardcover book. That will be a beautiful addition to your library and hopefully the truth inside, a great addition to your life. Ask for your copy when you send your gift today. The message you just heard came to you from Shadow Mountain Community Church and senior pastor, Dr. David Jeremiah. To share how God is using this ministry in your life, write us at Turning Point for God of Canada, P.O. Box 18098, Delta, B.C., V4L2M4. Visit our website at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio or call 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of David's new book, Christ Above All, a verse-by-verse study in Colossians to help you truly know who Jesus is. It is yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in the English Standard, New International, and New King James versions. Visit davidjeremiah.ca slash radio for details. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series, Christ Above All, here on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. If you want to learn more about the person of Jesus Christ, the book of Colossians offers an unrivaled portrayal of our Savior. And to help you understand this important book in a deeper way, Dr. David Jeremiah has created a verse-by-verse study called Christ Above All. This helpful book and album are yours when you donate $60 to Turning Point. And with an $80 gift, you'll also receive the Written Word Journal. Learn more at davidjeremiah.ca. In all we do each day, Dr. David Jeremiah and Turning Point work to make a global impact for the kingdom of God. But we can't do it alone. That's where Bible Strong Partners come in. These loyal monthly supporters form the foundation of Turning Point, allowing Dr. Jeremiah to teach the whole counsel of God. Partnering with Turning Point enables you to share in the eternal impact of this ministry, leading people to Christ through our media and printed resources, multiplying Bible teaching broadcasts, presenting the gospel around the globe, and strengthening the saints. In appreciation for your partnership, Turning Point wants to provide you with exclusive monthly resources and study guides, member-only communications, an on-demand library of study content, and so much more. Are you ready to see what the Lord will do? Let's expect to change the world together. Go to davidjeremiah.ca slash BibleStrong to become a BibleStrong partner today. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash BibleStrong. Bernie May, past director of Wycliffe Bible Translators, told about his early training as a pilot. He was given a list of steps to take in case of an in-flight emergency. In between each step, he was to write the words, Fly the Airplane. 
The point was that sometimes pilots crash when trying to solve an emergency because they fail to stay focused on flying the plane. Our list of procedures in case of an emergency in life might contain steps like pray, seek advice, read the Bible, and others. But in between each step, we should write, focus on God. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover how to stay focused on God on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.